when you come even to deal with human needs, to ask God to do something that you need or someone you love needs, this is your appeal. God, do it for your namesake. Do it because this person is called by your name, not demanding, but requesting. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. How are you supposed to pray? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part four of a series titled 70 Years and 70 Weeks. You know, Scripture is full of examples of God accomplishing His sovereign will in response to the prayers of His people. Think of it this way. When you pray, it may be that request triggers the very plan of God that He determined in eternity past to accomplish something. And this is why you pray. But as you'll discover, your prayers should primarily grow out of the study of the Scriptures and the promises of God. Is this how you pray? Keep all that in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. I mean, think about all the shame that Jesus endured. I mean, he's born in a situation in which his entire life, people raise the question about the legitimacy of his birth. Then you have his own family, his brothers. His four brothers said he was out of his mind. Then the religious leaders of the nation said he was uh, a glutton, a drunkard, in league with Satan himself, that the things he did were simply through the power of Satan, and on and on the list goes. And yet he endured all of that, suffering the shame that went with that, the derision of his glory. Why? For us, for his people. God does that here. And yet people misunderstood. I love the quote from Dale Ralph Davis. Listen to this. Daniel appeals to Yahweh's reputation. Of course, the Lord ruined, quote-unquote, his own reputation when he gave Judah's king and the temple vessels into Nebuchadnezzar's control back in chapter 1. It was part of his judgment on Judah, but as so often, the media didn't get it right. The popular interpretation was that Yahweh was simply another little league deity unable to keep his provincial people from being steamrolled by mighty Babylon and her victorious gods Marduk and Nebo, Babylon's helps in ages past their hopes for years to come. Yahweh seemed to be just another poor choice in the world's cafeteria of divine also-rans. Daniel pleads with Yahweh to reverse all of this and to restore his own reputation and name. And then Davis ends this way, genuine believers always have this concern close to their hearts. If you're a genuine believer in God, if you have come to embrace and love his son, then your heart beats with a passion for the glory of God. Daniel pled with God to act, to forgive, to restore for God's own reputation and glory. A fifth reason that he gave was God's profound compassion. Verse 18, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. 
He says, God, you ought to act because it's just like you. It's in keeping with your compassion to do so. The reason, folks, that we ask God to act on our behalf or on behalf of others is never our own merits. It's never because we have earned it. Rather, the basis of our appeal is always God's great, profound compassion. God, I ask you to do this because it's your nature to show compassion, and I desperately need your compassion. The sixth reason that Daniel prayed was because he understood, in a sense, he's arguing through this whole passage, God's primary method. That is that God uses means. I mean, think about this for a moment. Why did Daniel pray about this when he knew from Jeremiah that God had promised the Babylonian captivity would only last 70 years and the time was almost up? Why did he pray? Why wouldn't he just wait? It's because Daniel understood that God not only decides the ends, but he also decides the means. Now, let's admit that God can and sometimes does act alone, directly, without the use of any means at all. When he does that, what do we call it? A a miracle. And God can do that. He's God. But that's not God's primary method of accomplishing his purposes. Listen carefully. God's primary method of accomplishing his purposes is the use of ordinary means most of the time. For example, let's just talk about everyday life. God has promised to care for your needs, your physical needs, and for mine as well. Now, can God do that without the use of means? Well, of course he can. He's God. I mean, think about it. God provided for the Israelites in the desert water out of a rock. He caused the clothes and the shoes of the Israelites in the wilderness not to wear for 40 years. It's my prayer right now while I've got a couple of kids in in university. He he brought bread from heaven. But is that how God ordinarily provides for the needs of his people? No, of course not. He ordinarily meets our needs how? Through the ordinary use, or I should say the use of ordinary means. In 2 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul writes... Now, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat your own bread. Work and eat. God says, I'm going to provide for you. I promised I would, and here's how I'm going to provide for you. You're going to work, and you're going to get money that you can buy food and you can eat. That's God's provision for you. That's what God does. He normally uses ordinary means. In fact, in that same letter, Paul said the one who doesn't work shouldn't what? Eat. So that's God's ordinary means. God normally uses ordinary means to accomplish his purposes. As Daniel read Jeremiah's prophecy, he understood that God had not only declared the ends, literally the end of the Babylonian captivity after 70 years, that he would free his people from exile, but 
he also declared the means that he would use. Go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. I pointed this out a little bit last time, but I want you to see it again in this context. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Now remember, Jeremiah was a slightly older contemporary of Daniel. And so Daniel is is reading the book that Jeremiah wrote, and this is what he comes across, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon... I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, back to the land. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then, notice this, verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. You see what Jeremiah writes, Jeremiah says that God would accomplish his sovereign, eternal purpose of restoring his people from Babylonian captivity to their own land by answering the prayers of his people. So God had a a great eternal plan. And how was he going to accomplish that? What were the means God would use? It would be in answering the prayers of his people. So Daniel prayed. Perhaps, I mean, we can't know this for sure, but it is interesting that in the prophecy, it doesn't say when the 70 years begins, right? So Daniel is, I showed you a couple of ways that could be calculated. So maybe, and this is just sort of sanctified imagination, but maybe Daniel was praying, Lord, let the 70 years begin in 605, and not 597 when the second return of Nebuchadnezzar took place, or, Lord, definitely not 586. But Daniel primarily prayed because God had encouraged his people to pray about the end of the captivity in Jeremiah's prophecy. Because God intended to use the means of answering the prayers of his people to accomplish the ends, their freedom. In his study of Jeremiah, Daniel saw that God had promised the specific duration of their captivity, 70 years. He therefore took it as his responsibility to ask the Lord to fulfill his promise. Don't miss this. God's prearranged means to accomplish his sovereign purpose was through the prayers of his people, including Daniel. This is truly remarkable, and there is so much here about our prayers. In fact, I want to take our remaining time to draw out for you several crucial lessons about prayer from this passage. And let's just admit that it's a bit surprising to find these lessons coming from Daniel, not because of his character. He was a spiritual man who prayed often. But just step back for a moment and think about this. Who would have thought that a career politician who had served in two great world empires under four different kings would teach us how to pray? 
but he does. And so what are the lessons about prayer we learn from this extraordinary man that God had raised up? And ultimately, the lessons are not about Daniel. The lessons are about our God. As with every story, on every page of the Bible, the hero is never the human being. The hero is always God. So what are the lessons about prayer? Lesson number one, there is a symbiotic relationship between divine sovereignty and our prayers. They fit together. They fit together. I mean, think about this, and I get this question quite often. Tom, okay, I I grew up in a very Arminian setting. I grew up where man was in charge, and now I, I, I get it. God is in charge. He rules all things, but Help me with this. If God is sovereign in the events that happen in all our lives, if, he, if He's already determined all the details, if He's already decided whom He will save, for example, then why pray? It's because God not only decides the ends, but the means that He will use to accomplish those ends. And the means God uses to accomplish His ends are almost always ordinary. Not miraculous, but ordinary God may have chosen to save one of your family members or one of your loved ones in eternity past. I can't tell you whether he did or not, but he may have done that. And if he did, he may have decided to save them in answer to your prayer for their soul. Just like he sent the children of Israel back to their land in answer to the prayers of Daniel, even though he had determined to do so. Scripture is full of examples of God accomplishing His sovereign will in response to the prayers of His people. Think of it this way. When you pray, when you ask God to act, it may be that that triggers the very plan of God that He determined in eternity past to accomplish something, but to do so in answer to your prayer. This is why we pray. There is a symbiotic relationship. They fit perfectly together, divine sovereignty and human prayer, because God decides the ends, but he also decides the means, and they're almost always ordinary. The simple prayer of his people is one of those means. Secondly, we learn that our prayers should primarily grow out of our study of Scripture and in response to God's promises in the Scripture. Sinclair Ferguson writes of this passage, prayer asks in unwavering trust for what God has already promised to do. Do you base your prayers on the Scripture, on the promises of God in Scripture? Prayer addresses God and simply says, Father, you promised, you promised. I find myself doing this so often. I, I did it tonight. I do it every Sunday. Uh, bef- bef- on early Sunday morning, I get up, I'm in my study at home, and I'm sorting through my notes and marking my notes, and I'm praying. And, and my prayer almost every Sunday includes something like this. Lord, you have said that it is your will and purpose to use the gathering of the church, to use the giftedness that you have given the elders of a church, to build up and edify the believers who hear the word taught. I know that's your purpose, and I'm asking you, O oh God, to do that through me today and through the other elders of this church. 
through the others who teach. I can pray that knowing that I am praying on the promises that God has, on the statements of God. He's given the church men to this end. So I'm praying in keeping with what God has said. Father, you promised is essentially what I'm saying. And you can pray in the same way. Let the Scriptures, let the promises of God frame up your prayers. For example, I'll give you another example that uh, I, I wish weren't frequent in my life, but it is frequent just as it is in yours, and that is when we have sinned and we come to God seeking forgiveness. How do you come to God seeking forgiveness? Well, you ought to come taking hold of the promises in Scripture. God, you have said that you are good and ready to forgive, and that your steadfast love is abounding to those who fear your name. Here I am, Lord, taking hold of that promise. My only hope is that what you said is true and that that is your character. Exodus 34, God says, I am a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I can't tell you how often I've come to God and said, God, my hope is that this is who you said you are. You are characterized as a God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And that's the only claim I have because if you treated me like I deserved, you would obliterate me. If I were God, I would have long ago struck down such a rebel. But here I am claiming your character and your promises. This is how we are to pray. Our prayer should primarily grow out of our study of the Scripture and in response to God's promises in the Scripture. Another important lesson from Daniel's prayer is that we should present our request to God with arguments for Him to consider, especially biblical arguments. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not that we try to manipulate God. It's not that we try to use our arguments as leverage to force God to do what we want. No, rather, when we present our arguments like Daniel did, we are simply expressing our thinking and our hearts. <laughs> we are saying, God, I'm asking you to do this, and here's why. When you pray... Do you do this? Do you present arguments to God with your request? Arguments like his past acts? God, do this in light of what you have done in the past with your people. I've read in the Scripture, you, you did this with Abraham. You did this with David. Lord, respond to me that way. Lord, I, I realize some of you are reading The Heart of Christ that I recommended Thomas Goodwin's book. Lord, I realize that you are the same toward me today as you treated those disciples when you were here. So respond to me like you responded to Peter, or respond to me like you responded to John. His past acts. Plead his perfect righteousness. God, I'm asking you to do this because you are a God of perfect justice and righteousness, and this is right based on your word. Present the argument of his people's reproach. God, consider how your people are being treated. His personal reputation. God, do this for your own sake, for your glory, for your honor. His profound compassion. Lord, you are compassionate and gracious. That is your nature. Hear my cry. 
His primary method is to use means. Lord, you use means to meet our needs. Use my work on this project that I've been asked to do in order to meet my needs and allow me not only to serve my family, but to to contribute toward the needs of your kingdom. So, present your request to God with arguments for him to consider. Number four, biblical praying is often directed toward human needs, but is always God-centered. Look again at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. When you come even to deal with human needs, to ask God to do something that you need or someone you love needs, this is your appeal. God, do it for your namesake. Do it because this person is called by your name. Not demanding, but requesting. This is the same spirit, by the way, that should be behind when we say what our Lord taught us to say in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's how we come. Lord, uh, you heard me pray that tonight for some of the physical needs of people in our church. Lord, this is how we want you to do. This is what we want you to do. This is how we want you to respond. But we bow our wills to yours because you have a greater plan. And so we accept that plan. And then number five, learn from this example of Daniel 9 that God always hears the prayers of his people. Look at verse 20, and we'll consider this text next time, but look at verse 20 of of Daniel chapter 9. Now, while I was speaking and praying, notice the word while, while I was praying, verse 21, while I was still speaking in prayer, Gabriel came. Verse 23, Gabriel says to Daniel, at the beginning, I love that word, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. Listen, do you understand that God hears your prayer? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He hears. He always hears because you are His child And he is not like earthly fathers who are sometimes distracted. He is always attentive and attuned to the concerns of his people. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If it's a concern to you, it's a care to him. I love Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears you believe that? Do you believe that if you are righteous by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you believed in in God's Son, if you know God through His Son, then when you cry, the Lord listens. He hears. And He goes on to say, and delivers them out of all their troubles. He doesn't always deliver us out of our troubles in our time and in our way, but he always delivers us out of all of our troubles. It may be at the end of life when we're ushered into his presence, but he, he does hear, he does respond, and he will in his own time 
deliver us out of all of our troubles. Psalm 145, verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. I hope if you miss everything else from tonight's lesson, you'll get this. Prayer matters. Because if you're in Christ, when you cry out, your Father always hears. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of 70 Years and 70 Weeks. Join us next time for part five. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.